it's been a, a great privilege for me to, in our morning services, be able to preach about the glory of Christ and his cross. That's been our theme over Sunday mornings. And uh, this morning we come to redemption, and uh, I, I want to add into that some thinking on reconciliation. So we're going to read Ephesians 1 and verse 3, and I think we'll finish at verse 10. So let's uh, begin by reading God's Word. Ephesians 1 verse 3, hear God's Word. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Let us pray. God, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word and to this amazing concept of redemption and how it leads to reconciliation. And I pray that you would help us not only to be hearers of your word, but doers, that we may put it into practice. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The Oxford Living Dictionaries define the word redemption as, and I quote, the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. I don't intend to go into great detail this morning the fact that the Old Testament commentators tell us that there are three main words used in the Old Testament that carry the idea of redemption. Included in the words that the Hebrew Scriptures tell us is the word redemption associated with buying out of captivity prisoners of war. They are redeemed when they are bought back. Or the purchasing of freedom for slaves was a commonly held idea of redemption. You could redeem a slave, bring them and buy them out of slavery and give them freedom. The word redemption can be closely associated with the idea of paying a ransom, and this concept was deeply embedded in Hebrew tradition. When it comes to the New Testament, the payment of a ransom price to release sinners from captivity was applied to the work of Jesus Christ in redemption. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 3. And verses 22 in the second part of that verse and uh, finishing at verse 24. These are familiar words from the Apostle Paul. There is no difference. Uh, but that he means that 
Between you and me and every other human being on the planet, there is no difference. For all, he says, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So Paul outlines our human dilemma. Our human dilemma is that every single human being is a sinner who falls so short of the glory of God that nobody can find redemption or salvation or ransom from captivity without outside help. That's the human dilemma. And the human dilemma is that not only are we unable to save ourselves, but that we must remain in captivity to sin unless and until we are redeemed or ransomed by Christ's death on the cross and that's made personal to our lives. And what Paul talks about redemption is very much based on the words and the teaching of Jesus. Go back to Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. Uh, And uh, using that other meaning of redemption as ransom, this is what Jesus said to his uh, disciples in predicting his death. And he said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, my purpose in coming was that I might make a ransom or redeem sinners from their state of enmity towards God. We celebrate communion regularly in Orangefield. And we often say that the elements are symbols that remind us of various things. We say that the bread reminds us of the body of Jesus broken for us on the cross. And when we touch and handle and taste the bread, we are remembering that Jesus physically died on the cross. And when we taste the wine in the communion service, we say that the wine is a symbol that reminds us of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross to cleanse us from our sins. But I wonder how often it is that though we do these things often, that we actually think of the necessity of Christ shedding his blood to assuage the wrath of God towards us, to satisfy his judgment. In other words, blood had to be shed. And in the Old Testament, God ordained a whole methodology of sacrifice, of animals being brought to the temple and slaughtered and blood being shed. In other words, that that might atone for the sins of the people. And yet, in Christ, we have that perfect Lamb of God, that perfect sacrifice, the the one who does away with the need for the ongoing, continual sacrifice of animals in the Old Testament system, because Christ was perfect and holy and pure, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and in the shedding of his blood, that was sufficient to assuage the wrath of God for your sins and mine. Something I think we need to remember. And so first of all, I want us this morning just to think of the blessing of redemption. We read that earlier in Ephesians 1. Let me repeat, if I may, verses 7 and 8. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom 
and understanding. Here's a number of things about the blessing of redemption. It is, first of all, through Christ's blood or sacrifice. And when I think of that, I think, what amazing love. You know, the Bible tells us that it may be possible that even for a a very good person, someone might be prepared to give up their lives. But what Jesus has done is that when we were all enemies and strangers towards him, when we did not want anything to do with him, when we were in fact opposed to him, he gave up his life, a ransom for many, and shed his blood. It is through the sacrifice of Christ's life. And so what amazing love that this table reminds us of. What amazing love that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the the one who is always in existence, who's never not existed and never will cease to exist, this God of gods and King of kings, Lord of lords, that he should love us so much that he shed his blood for us. We have redemption through Christ's blood, our sacrifice. We have the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of relationship. You see, when human beings sinned, it created a a barrier between human beings and God, a gulf that could not be bridged by anything that we would do or any goodness of our own. And it is that Christ came and bridged that gulf and forgave us our sins so that we might be restored in a relationship with God that had been broken through sin. But not only that, when Jesus forgives our sins, he removes guilt. I I so often pause with that because I'm not sure that many of us have really fully understood that this sacrifice we celebrate is not just the forgiveness of our sins, it is also about the removal of guilt. A God who chooses to remember our sins no more. A God who will not hold against us the past. A God who will not drag up the past and say, remember when you did that and when you failed to do that. He will not drag up the past. He brings a forgiveness that is complete that means our guilt is removed. He breaks the power of cancelled sin, is a line in a hymn that we sometimes sing. I used to not understand it. But you see, when we bring our sins to Jesus at the cross, when we leave them at the foot of the cross, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He not only forgives, but he forgets And he says, don't live in guilt. Don't live looking back to the past. Don't look back with regret because the future lies before you. You cannot change the past, but you can change the future. You cannot live in the past if you're a Christian, but you need to learn to live in the future and the now. Forgiveness is a restoration of of relationship with God. It's the removal of guilt. It's deliverance from the past. And all this and more is to be found in the biblical concept of forgiveness. And also, Paul says in these verses we've just quoted, about the grace of God lavished upon us. I don't know about you, but I sometimes wonder if I'm honest This is a private conversation between me and you. I sometimes wonder, is God's grace lavished on me? I can get so inwardly focused, so self-critical, so down 
because I become too introspective and look in on myself that I forget that the grace of God is lavished upon us. And so when you have someone who is in need, and when you come to that person and you realize that God's putting you in a place to give that person some help, maybe say it's financial help, and you take a 10p out of your pocket and give it to them, is that lavishing love? Of course it's not. And God does not come and be stingy about the grace that he pours out on our lives. He does not come and say, I've got a whole lot of grace for those people over there, but just a little for you. He does not come to us and say, I've got a a little pinch of grace for you. I will pour out my grace lavishly on others. He pours out his grace lavishly upon you. There is no limit to God's love. There is no limit to God's forgiveness. There is only one sin that God will not forgive. One sin. And that is the constant, persistent refusal to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's the only sin in the whole world that God will not and cannot forgive. And so Paul says that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Don't let yourself be limited by thinking that God is finished with you. His grace is lavished on you. And indeed, more than that, here is an amazing thing. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons or daughters through Jesus Christ. How on earth do we understand predestination? I as I've so often in the past defined it very simply, God chose the whosoever will. Don't get hung up in predestination. Think of what Paul is saying, that before the creation of the world, he wanted you to be in his family. And he called you and he chose you. Even before you and I were born, even before the world was created, God knew the plan of salvation. He knew what was going to happen to human beings. He still created us. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. What an amazing God we have. What an amazing God that in the redemption of sinners, this was planned in eternity, that God knew you before you were born, and he planned your redemption that we celebrate at this table today, even before you and I were born. But the second thing, apart from the blessing of redemption, is this, the purpose of redemption. Uh, uh, Ephesians 1 and verses 9 and 10, if I may uh, repeat that. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and in earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 indicates that God not only forgives our sins but gives us all we need to understand his will and to live life according to his will. We can know the God who knows us. We can know the God who knew us before we knew him. That's the first purpose of redemption, that we might know him, that we 
might not celebrate a dead Savior, but a Savior who is risen and with us today in the real presence of Jesus by his Holy Spirit in our lives here and now today. We can know God. And the second purpose of redemption, I think, according to what Paul is saying here, is that God redeems people to gather all things onto himself. Before God made the world, he had a long-range plan for humanity that we might find redemption in Jesus Christ. He is the focal point of everything. And coming back to the heart of worship, we sang earlier, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. He is the focal point of absolutely everything. The reason we gather around this table, the reason we exist as a church, the reason we have hope for the future, the purpose of Christ's death was to gather all things, not just human beings, but all of creation onto himself. And I wonder if I may, and I realize time is flying, just to say a little bit about reconciliation, because I don't think redemption can be thought of without some thinking of reconciliation. And the first thing I want to say here is that God is the reconciler. When we think of reconciliation, we usually think of people in conflict making compromises, ideally finding a kind of 50-50 arrangement on both sides so that they can live with an end to the warring. But here's the thing. In the Bible, reconciliation is never, never presented as an effort on both sides of God and people making concessions to each other. Indeed, reconciliation is not a work begun by God and finished or completed by people. Biblical reconciliation is achieved by God, offered by God as a gift to us, Reconciliation is all of God's grace. Romans 5 and verses 9 and 10. Let's read those, uh, if we may. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, and we were singing about that, how enemies can be around his table, if When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? God is the reconciler. You know, I think that's the absolutely unique thing about our Christian faith. Every other religion you go to, it's all about human effort to appease the gods or to get to know God or to please God in some sort of way. Every religion in the world except Christianity. Christianity is about the God who made the effort to come to us in Christ, in our world, and to redeem us through sacrifice and through blood. And secondly, God's way of reconciliation, if you still need convincing that our redemption required Christ's death, then note this. Our reconciliation as sinners to a holy God is both an act of love and a requirement of the law. Romans chapter 2 and verses 5 to 8. Let me read these. I I love, so often I, I read lots of Scripture because I think Scripture interprets Scripture. Romans 2 at verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. 
but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. You see, God's love means that his wrath is actually love and anger and action against sin. It's a sign that we live in a moral universe, that God says, if we live in a moral universe, then sin has to be punished, wrong must be righted, and it can only be done through the shedding of blood, and Jesus came, that he might satisfy the wrath of God. Let me come back to Romans, if I may, Romans 3, and uh, verses 25 and 26. Again, these verses, I think, are so And this is what he he writes in verses 25 and then 26. We know these words so well. God presented Jesus, him, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You see, God's wrath is satisfied in Christ. Reconciliation in Northern Ireland has been wrongly, I think, a dirty word. I was so impressed and pleased earlier on to Hear the way Roger led us in prayer for our community at this time when we need a community where the church of Jesus Christ can demonstrate what reconciliation really means. And there are two scriptures I want to point you to that, that I think don't need much comment. The first is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 18 to 20. I would love to spend time, but we don't have it today. But this is for you and I to think about. 2 Corinthians 5.18 All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them and he has committed to us committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors of Christ's reconciliation. You need to work that out, what it means for yourself in your daily life. Colossians 1 and verses 19 and 20. And this is the purpose of redemption and reconciliation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is our ministry of reconciliation, because we've been redeemed. Let's pray. And as we pray, could I ask the worship team to come back up on platform. Can I encourage you as we gather around God's table this morning to just reflect on the moment 
what it means to be redeemed, to be bought out of slavery and brought into God's family. And could you take a moment to think what it means to understand and know that you have been reconciled with God through Christ and that God wants you to be an ambassador of reconciliation and as we contemplate in a moment of quiet dare I ask you please to ask God is there someone with whom I need to be reconciled. And if God lays in your heart someone with whom you need to be reconciled, I know you can't do it right here and now, but maybe you'd make that commitment to God that you will take it seriously. So take a moment of quiet and do that business with God. Father, thank you that you have redeemed us, bought us out of captivity to sin, and brought us into your family. Thank you that in your forgiveness through the cross, you have not just forgiven the past and forgiven our sins, but restored us and reconciled us to relationship with you and also to one another. And if there's someone with whom we need to make an effort to reconcile, oh God, I pray that you would help us to not go away from this day and forget about it, but to determine to do what we can, to be an ambassador of reconciliation to others. Lord, hear our prayers, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.